0: You're now listening to Free the Tongue Podcast. Brought to you by American English Tafel. A podcast that explores language and culture. Hi guys, so this is episode one of season two called Racism Doesn't Exist. Now, before I get started with this episode, I wanna just take the time to say that it took me five days to write this script. At the end of it, it was 12 pages long. And generally, it doesn't take me this long to write a script, but this was such an emotional toll on me because of the content matter that I'm gonna be speaking about today that I couldn't sit and write it for long. I didn't wanna write it. I didn't wanna do it because it was putting me back in the place where all of this happened. And in that context where all of this happened. And the reason I pushed through was because I believe that what I'm doing is super important. The story I'm telling is super important. And though I am afraid, though I am scared of how people are gonna take this, what people are gonna say, how they're gonna think of it, especially because of the context in which I work, and this is gonna be the context in which this situation happened. And There are some things that I'm gonna say in this podcast that I know if people in my district hear it, they're not gonna be happy about it. I've already had evidence of me just speaking up and people in the school that I work in not being happy about me saying something about what went wrong, what happened to me. So if that could happen, I know for a fact that because I'm talking about such a sensitive topic, regardless of how well I try to phrase it, how well I try to put it, people are not gonna be happy. Not because of the way I said it, though they might use that as an excuse and as a reason, but because of what I have said. And I really, it took me two more days to determine if I was going to change some parts of what I said uh, in order to lessen the blow of the actions that were done to me, that caused me harm, that caused me pain. And yet still, I was thinking I wanted to go back and protect my oppressors, to protect Those who, without hesitation, easily inflict their actions upon me with no remorse. I have been defending them. I have been trying to make it seem that it was better than it actually was. But that is why these sort of things are allowed to continuously happen. Because we are too afraid to be honest and to tell the whole story, and so I decided I'm not gonna change it. Everything that I am saying in this podcast today is honest and true from my own perspective. Now I acknowledge that everybody has their own perspective so the people involved in the story, which I will not name names, You guys don't know what district I work in. You guys don't know where I work. You don't know who the people are I'm talking about. You just know I'm in Michigan. So I will afford them that protection, but I will not give the protection of hiding my true feelings because I have already been silenced. I have already been silenced. So as you can see now, this is very... A very touchy topic for me because it's painful. And I'm tired of having to pretend like I am not experiencing harm for the benefit of my oppressors. So they can easily and more, are are, are more able to digest me speaking up about it. So without any further ado, I'm going to get into this podcast episode, Racism doesn't exist. So in a sarcastic way, I always tell people racism does not exist. But in the book, Ratio Linguistics, researcher Robert J. Pedoseva gives us some tools to capture this phenomenon that shows up in statistics that paint a picture of disproportionate negative trends on black people and often other people of color, but somehow is never seen in real time. Those tools are locus and temporality. Locus means where something is happening, and temporality is when something happens. In layman's terms, think time and place. But in the educational field, we say the context. Yep, that's right. The way you deal with racism, or any of the isms for that matter, is to keep the conversation in the context surrounding the events. You're oppressor, and by oppressor, I mean anyone who has a higher social ranking than you will use every applicable logical fallacy in the book to prove that they are not racist. With a healthy dose of gaslighting too. It does not matter if they have a background in sociology, have spent years working with marginalized students. It doesn't matter if they can even speak with the accent or speak the language of those they have social power over. When positions of power are given to those who are not invested in the communities of the marginalized, as in living in them. To those who fail to understand the culture of the marginalized, for example, failing to appreciate or accept cultural differences such as dress, language, and cultural ways to solve problems. When institutional power is given to them over the marginalized, they will act on bias that will lead to disproportionate negative effects on the marginalized within any institution. But let me stop speaking abstractly. I was prompted to this episode because once again, I found myself at the mercy of white supremacy found in education. And of course, it looked at me, a black woman, and deemed me not good enough. I mean, what do you expect from white supremacy but to deem anything other than white, the supreme? As good enough, it's exhausting moving through American society in the body of a black woman. Anyhow, instead of speaking abstractly, I will share with you my experience of institutionalized racism happening in real time to provide you with the locus and temporality or context to see it. Let's start with the locus or time. This started two years ago, when I finally got my State of Michigan approved teaching certification. My TEFL certification program is also a Michigan State approved program. However, the potential teachers that go through my program will not be subjected to the same sort of evaluations. You are only subjected to these evaluations if you go through a classroom teacher certification program. Once I became certified, I became required to have my teaching performance evaluated by what is called the Danielson rubric. The Danielson rubric is supposed to evaluate teachers to determine if they are effective or ineffective. It sets what are the standards of an effective teacher, making it a tool of the institution of education. Now here's where the funny part comes in. The institution of education is made up of the many individuals whose jobs in some capacity is related to education. The institution is not just some inanimate object The institution is every person in the educational field, including myself, my administrators, and my fellow teachers. We make up the institution. Therefore, when we say institutionalized racism, a phrase most people are comfortable with, we are saying racist people who work in education, a phrase most people are uncomfortable with. The temporality or place of the context is being evaluated by white administrators in a predominantly black and brown student school district that though it is linguistically and culturally diverse, Most of the teaching staff are white. So in summary, the context in which I experienced institutionalized racism began at the time when I started my career as a classroom teacher. It happened in the place of a district that has predominantly white teachers and administrators, though the student demographic we predominantly serve is black and brown students which I will take the time to know, you will never in the USA find a district with a predominantly white student demographic that has a predominantly black administration and teaching staff. Let us be able to open our eyes right there. I'll also add here Diversity is great. All school districts, regardless of the ethnicity of the student demographic, can benefit from learning from a diverse staff. But let's not play games here. When most of the teaching staff are white, that's not a diverse staff. Now, to get back to my summary, the tool that the institution, i.e. decision makers within the district, used to enact their racism is the Danielson rubric. But my case is unique for a few reasons. It's quite common for new teachers to score as minimally effective on the Danielson rubric. However, due to a decision made by the decision makers in our district, somehow it seems that I'm not a new teacher. A new teacher is classified as someone who has had their state teaching certification for two years or less. Although, for reasons that remain unclear to me, though I was hired in as a Michigan certified teacher in 2020, I am considered a third year teacher. If a third year teacher is rated minimally effective, three times, they're at risk of being fired. Unlike teachers within their first two years. And by three times, I mean they're saying that I have been in a district for three years. And in every observation in those three years I got, including the COVID year, I was rated minimally effective. It's funny how when racists want to get rid of you they use the tools of the institution to do it. The proof that I experienced institutionalized racism can be captured in two events that happened surrounding my evaluation. The first thing that happened after I was rated minimally effective I voiced my frustrations to a white colleague of mine and learned that this colleague, within her first two years of teaching, had also been rated minimally effective. Now here's where the racism comes in. After our evaluations, we have a meeting with our admins. My colleague, who is white, was able to challenge her score in some of the components during her meeting with the admins, and get her scores changed. Then a day later, the admins contacted her and told her in so many words that they didn't believe that her score reflected her teaching. So after some discussion, they thought she would be happy with her score. She should check it again now there are always skeptics out there who will who will say well they didn't specifically say that they would change her score well remember they did change her score once during her meeting with them and remember her final score was still minimally effective even with the extra points she had gotten by scoring some more points in the components she challenged. She was not happy with her minimally effective score and I can't possibly believe she would have been happier with a lower score which is ineffective. So when they talked and they thought she would be happy with her final score now and they told her that, it doesn't take a genius to know that they meant that her score would be changed into something acceptable and the lowest score that is acceptable is effective meaning her job was secure she would have the ability to move to a higher paying district and her skills as a teacher were affirmed i was happy for her because i do believe she is a good teacher based on the fact that she had her second grade class do a second draft, a class of 28 kids. When there are other teachers, when there are other teachers who would never do that because they underestimate their students' ability and have low expectations of them. Nevertheless, the problem is, when I went into my meeting, I did not get the same treatment. In fact, I was gaslit to the high heavens. I was accused of being unprepared and making up my lesson on the spot by an admin who shared in an incredulous tone that she too could make up a good lesson on the spot. However, I sent them my lesson plan detailing the lesson I would do. And I was accused of not using the curriculum when I had a picture inserted from the curriculum in my lesson plans that also included every standard for that module of the unit, which can only come from the curriculum. I was accused of not using our curriculum resources and when I rebutted that I use every book in the curriculum, unlike other teachers, because I did not have outside books prepared and found it to be too much work to do so, I was told that there were plenty of books to use outside the curriculum. Mind you, I was just accused of not using curriculum resources. But when I gave my explanation of why I do, I was told in a haughty tone to use non-curriculum books. It's mentally exhausting and taxing just to talk about this. But regardless, to say the belief that my admins had in my white colleague's skill and ability, which prompted them to change her score in a domain once, and hint they would change her final score. That faith they did not have in me. Despite the evidence and proof that I had provided them of my skill and ability that was contrary to the rating I got, When I presented evidence that I took my class average from a 45% to 70% on their standardized ELA tests in four months, I was told that wasn't good enough. Which begs the question, then what is the bar? What are the scores that are good enough? in a district in which a large percentage of our students are not passing those same standardized tests. When I tried to explain to them my classroom system that allowed me to get those scores, they couldn't understand it. It was too abstract for them. So they insisted that it could not be effective because it didn't look like how they thought it should. I was angry, insulted, and hurt by their psychological assault. So I took my story to our district Facebook group and around of around 700 teachers and I told my story. Through telling my story, I learned I was far from the only person of color that had experienced this I knew that if I didn't stand up now, this would continue to happen. So I decided to stand up and contact the superintendent of our district. Not just for me, but for all teachers of color and our students. And that was what they told me to do, my administrators. I titled the email I sent, Systematic Racism in the District. And to my surprise, the superintendent responded the next day saying she would like to discuss this matter in depth with me. She asked me what evidence I had, and I took it as a sign from the universe that two days later, a report came out about the ineffectiveness of the teacher evaluations as few teachers were being fired, except for teachers of colors based on their evaluations, although no one was raising the students' test scores on standardized tests as the evaluations were implemented to do, by weeding out effective teachers and keeping only the good ones. I went back to the Facebook group and let them know what were the results of me contacting the superintendent. I also shared with them my very diplomatic message to my admins, asking them if we could work together to set a precedent for how the district should handle these sensitive issues. Unfortunately, when I went to talk with my admins, they were more interested in me being okay with the score that I got because it could not change, according to them then working with me to make a change for something that I had evidence and poof, was incorrect. I also let those teachers in the Facebook group know the professional hit that I took for everyone. Because I stood up, my job is on the line. Many of my colleagues were no longer professional with me. When they saw me in the hall, they did not greet me or acknowledge me because I said something about systematic racism. But the ones who did, the ones who continued to talk to me and to support me, to the ones who continued to show me that they cared even in a slight way, even just being professional. Thank you so much and I respect you so much. But the ones who didn't, I see you. This happened because I spoke up against inequality, the inequality that I was experiencing publicly. I let them know that because I said something about systematic racism, I would now be labeled a troublemaker, which would affect my ability to get jobs in any other district around here and it was very likely that the district will find some technicality to fire me on as soon as they could. I'm hoping that the meeting with the superintendent goes great and I have positive expectations for that but I also have to be prepared for what history has shown us. I finished with explaining that I was sharing this with them and will continue to share this with them because they were all now witnesses to discrimination. No one could any longer say they didn't see it. And if the district is successful with getting rid of me, 700 people know my story. So when the next teacher is brave enough to stand up against racism, hopefully someone will share my story and they will know that they are not alone. There was someone who came before them that fought back, that spoke up, that shouted, so that when they came, the cycle of racial abuse already had a light shone on it and it will be their job to push our light for equality even further. I hope that person comes in my lifetime because I'm here to stay in this city. When I asked for people who would be willing to stand with me, few people stood up. But by the next time someone is brave enough to stand up against institutionalized racism in our district, I will have spent my time doing everything in my power to have an army to stand behind them ready for the educational revolution. All right, folks, that's all for this episode. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this podcast for community brought to you by American English TEFL. I'll see you next time.